Welcome to Unbound, the Saybrook Insights podcast, a proud production of Saybrook University. Saybrook is an online, nonprofit, regionally accredited university headquartered in beautiful Pasadena, California. Celebrating 50 years this coming year, our humanistic approach to online education has resulted in thousands of alumni the world over advancing the health and well-being of the communities we serve. My name is Nathan Long, University President and host of this podcast. Today's episode features Mr. Sean Ellis, a psychology PhD student. Sean is part of a series on Saybrook Insights featuring current students and alumni in which we catch up on what they're researching and doing in their communities. If you're interested in being featured, please contact me via email at nlong at saybrook.edu. To learn more about our programs, visit us online at www.saybrook.edu. And now, Mr. Sean Ellis. Hello, it is my pleasure to be here today with a uh, one of our wonderful students, Mr. Sean Ellis. Sean, welcome to Saybrook Insights. How are you today, sir? Awesome. How are you? We are doing just fine in uh, the age of COVID-19, but also uh, working hard to do all the right things and advance social justice initiatives. I know you, uh, you've been uh, part of our community for some time, so you're well aware of the work we do. Uh, so very good. And I, how is Connecticut uh, treating you? It is hot. I've been in the pool probably like three times this week. All right. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> That's called self-care, right? Yes, sir. That's yes, right. sir. I got a nice tan, too. <laughs> all right. All right. You're all set. <laughs> well, listen, it, we're, we're really glad to have you on. You're uh, joining a, a collective of students and alumni who are joining me on this podcast to really talk through what it is you're doing, why you're doing it. Uh, and then we'd like to just kind of end with uh, why you chose Saybrook. What's what was meaningful, or what has been meaningful to you in your time here, and uh, just give folks a flavor of that. So, uh, without further ado, why don't we jump right into you? You're a uh, what year in your doctoral program? Maybe just give the audience a little bit about yourself. So I am in the process of waiting for IRB approval. So. I have uh, completed my oral proposal defense or proposal defense, and uh, now I'm in the process of filing IRB, getting approval so I can collect my participants for my study, in which I hope to have those collected and write my uh, chapters four and five and hopefully be done in December of 2020. Very good. Congratulations. And you've been here since about 2015, correct? Yes, sir. I think uh, came in either the same semester you did or the the semester after you came in. Very good. Okay. And your PhD is in psychology with a focus uh, right now, as you and I have talked about, uh, a background in, or work in rather, cyberbullying, right? Um, Maybe you could kick off and tell us about, you know, why you think cyberbullying has become such an existential crisis uh, now more than ever. I know we've got a lot of things happening across the country right now. Uh, I, this might be a few ticks down in terms of uh, people's consciousness, but would love to hear from you, you know, even what inspired you to start studying this area and why you think it is an existential crisis. Well, 
Um, well, first of all, uh, for something to be considered an existential crisis, it, it, um, it needs to be based on um, the existential givens. And Irvin Yolam uh, Bugenthal identified six, but most people adopt Irvin uh, Yolam's uh, four existential givens, which is death, freedom, isolation, and meaningless. And so right now with uh, COVID-19 been going on for a couple of months and just recently with George Floyd's death, um, as a country and a world, we are interacting with two or more of those existential givens. Um, for example, the most obvious um, existential givens are freedom and isolation. Um, since most states, you know, we've, we're coming out of the stay-at-home um, orders, but some are still still there or, you know, with the rising of cases in some states, they might even re you know, uh, get them going again. But um, but with cyberbullying um, becoming an existential crisis uh, before George, it had become an existential crisis before COVID-19 and George Floyd's death. And in my upcoming dissertation, I will be discussing cyberbullying and the relationship with those existential givens. But as of right now, cyberbullying paired with COVID-19 and George Floyd's death has increased the awareness of um, it being an existential crisis. Um, and it, one of these examples is in 2018, Cigna released data from a survey that ha they had conducted, and here are some of those results. Nearly half of Americans report sometimes are always feeling alone, which is about 46% of that of the participants, and 47% uh, um, of those participants felt left out. Um, two in five Americans sometimes are always feel that their relationships are not meaningful. Um, which was about 43% of the participants, and that they are isolated from others, again, 43% of the participants. And here's what's shocking. Um, Gen Z, which are the ages of 18 to 22, is the loneliest generation and claims to be in worse health than older generations. Hmm. So these three results reveal um, two of the four existential givens, isolation and meaningless. And based on the literature of cyberbullying, Studies report that participants feel that their freedom has been taken away from them once they're cyberbullied, isolated, whether they are the victim or perpetrator of a cyberbullying, and suicide ideation or committing suicide is linked to cyberbullying. So before COVID-19 and George Floyd's death, cyberbullying was an existential crisis, and now with the majority of Americans and other countries at home, because of this virus, I mean, again, they're coming out, but then it looks like we're going to have to be going back in because of the rising cases. Um, new and current victims and perpetrators of cyberbullying have probably increased as well. Um, also, too, it could be now there's been a lot of deaths that have come out of this COVID-19 situation. But like I mentioned before, the suicide rate and suicide ideation is, you know, is a uh, present amongst cyberbullying. And it could be suggested that during while they, people may not have gotten COVID-19, there could be deaths that could have been associated with the cyberbullying at home. So that's you know, that's a big thing too. And we won't know about those until, you know, after COVID-19 subsides, but there's a pretty good chance that cyberbullying increased while people were at home. So, um, before you go, go on with that, how, how does that happen? In other words, or how is that happening? I, I, I think I know, but I, I think it might be helpful to say like, or to understand from your perspective, when you say it's it, it's likely to have occurred, what does that exactly mean? What does that look like in the current ethos that we're in? Okay. So pre-COVID-19, say, for instance, I mean, we know that cyberbullying has been around for quite some time. Sure. Um, you can go on 
before pre-COVID-19, you could definitely go online and onto any form of social media, even on, if you don't even have social media, you read news articles, you can see people just saying mean things, right? So take a situation to where at least people pre-COVID-19 that were dealing with cyberbullying, whether they were being the perpetrator or victim, or they were both, at least there was some form of social interaction or something, somebody that they could go to to talk, right? And, you know, a therapist, counselor, whatever, that social interaction is an important thing. You take that social interaction away from them and say, for instance, it's a person that doesn't have any family members or they're in New York City and all their family members are in another part of the state and they're in lockdown. That's going to create even more of an isolation issue for them. And once you tie that into where they are already feeling or having experiencing suicide ideation because of what they're doing, that isolation makes them become, start thinking that their life is meaningful, that are not meaningful. They don't feel like their, you know, their life is worth anything. And then next thing you know it, you know, they could end up killing themselves. Mm -hmm. So you throw that isolation, you increase that isolation, therefore no one to talk to the thoughts of meaningless comes into play. And there you go. And it's not just suicide, although that's obviously the worst case, right? right? It's a, depression it's uh, Anxiety, other forms of mental health right. uh, impacts uh, what are some of those other issues that emerge right. in addition to su- suicide and suicidal right. ideation so um one of the also two substance abuses will uh okay. come into play so if you have somebody um that is already experiencing a- anxiety and depression okay you know, one of the major things that people used to, you know, co- um, to deal with their anxiety, depression, anger, or whatever, they go to substances. So also, too, you have that going on as well. And um, so alcohol use, uh, marijuana use, uh, even some of the other type of drugs, uh, oxy, you know, some of the, um, uh, what's that word, um, the opioids. You know, people, when you're going through a situation like that, people typically go to substances to cool themselves down or to bring themselves to get some type of uh, healing or relaxation or whatever. So now you've got a comorbidity situation going on here. Um, or a potential with, one, for right, sure. Right, or yeah. a potential one. Yeah, exactly. So that's what that looks like. So it, you just, with, you know, COVID-19 and everything like that, it just, it's like creates this, you know, atmosphere for a possibility of issues to happen with uh, cyberbullying. Maybe it would be helpful to talk about ways to cope and prevent then this cyberbullying during these national crises and beyond, because at some point we're going to emerge forward out of this, right? right? I mean, it's not going to be forever. Um, and hopefully we'll begin to substantively address some of these other areas including racial and social justice concerns and issues that have been plaguing us for many years. Where do we go with cyberbullying in terms of, you know, addressing the problem head on and prevention? Right. So um, one of the first things that I would suggest, um, I mean, with COVID-19 and George Floyd's death and all this stuff that's going on, one thing that I would first suggest is, is that with technology, counselors and therapists and, uh, you know, mental health facilities have evolved in the sense of providing online care. 
So um, that would be one of the first things I would say is, is, you know, if you're feeling like you need to, you know, get some hate or get some anger or some frustration out, don't go towards social media for that. Go talk to a counselor for that. Um, and so like, you know, that's one of the first things that I would say ha that happens because, you know, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers, covers all. So uh, covers all hate, covers all anger. So we need to start incorporating some more love talk into our conversations online. Also too, a second thing that you can do is, is not get involved in the arguments. Um, read it for what it is. Um, you can agree or disagree, but again, don't get involved in the conversations. You know, we need to be working on trying to unify our country more than ever now and unify our culture more than ever now. And, uh, you know, I don't know how you feel about this, but, you know, I'm tired of the polarization that's taking place in our country. And see, a third thing I would say, live by the golden rule. Um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you and love your neighbors better than yourself. Um, so that's one of the best ways to keep yourself from getting involved in cyberbullying activity. And I'd probably say the, you know, the, you know, a, a last resort, if you feel, if people are feeling like they have to get involved in these conversations or they can't stop, then I would just say, remove yourself from social media for a period of time and start doing other activities um, that could, you know, where you could put your, you know, anger or put your hatred or something that, so that you don't, you know, cause uh, more fights on the internet. Like we said, like we've previously discussed, cyberbullying is a link to many different types of uh, um, issues, mental health issues and substance abuse issues. And that's the last thing that we need is saying one thing that's gonna cause somebody to go deeper into those situations. A couple of things I, I bring to mind for me, the items that you talked about in terms of politics and, and arguing. And, you know, I do think that discussion is part of our humanistic way of being. Sometimes those conversations can be difficult to have, right? And they are important right. to have in a democracy. That's how we uh, advance. That's, that's how we get to the core of the, the issue. I think to your, your final point, it, it may be that are there ways that we can engage that are constructive and is social media the most constructive way uh, versus being out? You know, and again, it's hard to be out, right? I mean, it, you've right. got COVID-19 that's kind of complicating right. being out, being engaged in groups and being engaged in protests. Um, but, you know, I, I would say to your point that it's probably more important now than ever that people are connected, but finding ways to balance right. their time is what I'm hearing you say and finding right. ways to step away. I know my wife and I have talked periodically about the, what is it? The, the Facebook break uh, where you just take a break for a few weeks, you know, or a few days just to, mm -hmm. to walk off of the platform for a minute to give yourself a chance to, to remove uh, your own, need to respond to everything that's out there because there's right. a lot of things out there. And I, I don't know if you have any thoughts or if your research has brought up anything too around the way people engage from a sociological or psychological perspective online, because I know in my previous work as a grad student many years ago, uh, there was a big focus on 
how people engaged in online learning platforms. And this was way before Facebook, right? So this is as LMSs were coming on board or learning management systems were coming on board. And the, the research showed that every time you kind of anonymize people's engagement, in other words, you didn't have to necessarily have your face shown or you weren't fully you, the dialogue or discourse really devolved into, you know, debate in discussion that was toxic. It wasn't really advancing anything. It was just getting kind of uglier and uglier. And I think to your point, that's what you're referencing with the cyberbullying, right? Is that it, it just kind of descends into chaos almost. And, right. and, and then it, in, it, it creates this sense of feeling uh, isolated and bullied and, and that, uh, Maybe everyone feels this way when maybe everyone doesn't feel this way or, or that there are lar- large assumptions and that people start to lose hope. Um, so I don't know if that's accurate or, or if you'd add anything more to that sense, uh, those thoughts that I just put out there. Yeah. And, um, and that's one of the things that one of the articles I read for my dissertation, uh, for my literature review that I'm, that's kind of helped move my, my move my dissertation in the way that it's going is, is this, you know, especially the, the Gen Zers are already coming out with this type of way to engage in social media by cyberbullying. Mm-hmm. But what they showed was, is, is that if counselors, school counselors and school officials got involved in, um, a, in an online empathy course, teaching kids how to develop empathy online, because it's, easier to kind of develop empathy when you're in person, but when you're behind a screen and you're not looking at that person in the face, you can say whatever you want and you won't care what you're saying because you don't know how that person's going to take it. Right. So this article talked to, they did a study on, you know, these, these adolescents and high schoolers. And I can't remember if it was, college students or not, but they basically were able to find that once kids learn how to empathize with their people online and how they typed and the way that they said things, the cyberbullying and the stress and everything like that decreased because they knew what to say instead mm-hmm. of just saying it. So that would be one of the things that I would encourage people to, um, think about once they start, once they're online and, you know, as we're seeing all these triggering things going on is it's like, try to empathize, try to, you know, you know, one of the, I heard a quote, um, I heard one of the pastors, uh, one of the black pastors I watched a couple of weeks ago or yeah, a week ago had talked about compassion and compassion is basically taking yourself out and receiving the hurt from somebody else, like actually receiving that pain that someone is going through inside and leaving your person out of the, out of the room. And that's another thing I would probably say too, is, is yeah, words can be hurtful, but are you really allowing, are you really allowing yourself to receive what that person is experiencing and feeling before you respond? And I think if we could take those pains that people are experiencing first before we respond, that and, and tie it with empathy, our online conversations can be a more unifying and wonderful place to be at than toxic, you know, like, mm-hmm. like you said. And so those would be the two things that I would say that we could incorporate as an online community is, is really taking the time to empathize with others and really ex- 
take that pain inside and actually, you know, chew on it for a little bit. Rather than responding in the right. now or in the moment. Right. Great. Well, we're coming to the end of our time here. So maybe just give us a few thoughts from Sean Ellis, the student. And why did you choose Saybrook University? You could have gone anywhere. You had uh, opportunities and options. What, what drew you to us? And uh, maybe for the audience, uh, what are you taking away from the university as you get closer to graduation? So what drew me to Saybrook is actually, um, you could call it fate. You could call it God's will. You could call it, uh, you know, just the transpersonal, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'll, when you bring up Carl Young, because I had actually got accepted into one university, um, an APA accredited university for a PsyD in Pennsylvania, but my my firstborn child was born and there's just no way that we'd have been able to leave our family unit that we have here and just move into a whole new place without any form of support. I mean, my son was maybe three months old at the time. So it was kind of like that didn't go well. And then where I got my master's from, um, I ended up uh, applying for their side E program. And in both cases, um, I brought up Carl Jung as like my favorite psychotherapist, like his analytical psychology. And they looked at me and they're like, you know, well, his stuff is outdated. And I'm just like, you know, how can it be outdated? Like, there's just no sense. So while I got accepted from one university and the other university just denied me, I was looking for online institutions because that was going to be the only way for me to find. And then when I started reading what humanistic as existential psychotherapy was, um, I wrote a lot of papers on contemplative psychotherapy as helping people uh, establish empathy and mindfulness. And once I saw Saybrook's mission, what it was, I was like, whoa, dude, like, I didn't know schools like this existed. And so I applied, sent my stuff in, and within like three months of after speaking with Theopia, Dr. Theopia Jackson uh, on a call, uh, I was in. And it was just meant to be, like, you know, this is where all the, uh, this is where if you want to have like a full tool belt of what psychology is, Saybrook is the place to be. That's great. And you're able to do it from anywhere, essentially, and get a first rate education. I mean, I think we've heard that uh, over and over again, which is fantastic. And ground yourself in the humanistic, existential, transpersonal work that our students do both internally and with their communities. So that's very cool. Well, Sean, thank you very much for your time. Uh, we'll look forward to getting this out into the, the cyber world and hopefully um, you'll uh, have a great run to your final dissertation defense. So good luck to you, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. And we just need to love each other. That's all we need to do is just love each other. Here, here. More love. Exactly.